we turn to the chapter of God's Word which we read in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 26, and we shall read again verse 4. Isaiah chapter 26 at verse 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Amen. As we learn from the opening verse of the chapter, these words form part of a song. This was not a song used in the temple worship. It was rather a national song used in a general way among the people of Judah. So it was to be used, and no doubt the faithful would make use of it because this song expresses the joy of the people of God in their God as their deliverer and as their protector. In the words of the text, we have encouragement to believers to lean wholly upon God. The God who is in covenant with his people and who has made promises to his people and who will never let them down, never let them down. Do we not find here something which we greatly need in our own day? What a day we live in. A day perhaps many present here would never have expected that they would see. A day of such declension in spiritual things. And with that declension, a moral decay, so that all manner of things are done today which would not have been mentioned uh, in polite conversation at one time. And the Lord's people, often discouraged because of these things, wondering at the state of uh, the Lord's cause when so few come to public worship. But God has not changed, and God never will change, and a God in covenant with his people will maintain, will keep, will fulfill all the promises he has made to them. So let us consider this text with the Lord's help and uh, to consider everlasting strength. That is what we have here. God is such, and those who are in covenant with God enjoy such. Everlasting strength. And as we consider this subject, we shall note three things as the Lord enables us. Firstly, the name, then the strength, and then the confidence. Three things that have to do with people in covenant with the Lord, the mighty God. Firstly then, the name. We have in our text this name, the Lord Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah. And there you have uh, a name with two components. Uh, 
Lord and Jehovah. And we shall consider the second of these, firstly, the name Jehovah. The whole name expresses God's majesty and uh, God's self-sufficiency. The self-existent God who is not in need of any creature and the God who is most high and most glorious. And when you consider the name Jehovah, you understand, do you not, that this is unique to God. It is what we might call his proper name. No one else, no creature can uh, uh, ever bear that name because this name is unique to God. God as uh, the one who is from everlasting and to everlasting. Uh, the God of infinite glory. The God who is unchangeable. The God who is perfect in every attribute. And we see the glory of God, do we not, in the works of God. And the work of creation is that which reveals God's glory. It is a wonderful thing to consider this universe and to do so in the light of what Scripture teaches. It is an extraordinary thing that many will behold the, the night sky, and the vastness of it, and the brilliance of it, and the myriad stars, and the planets, and so forth. And yet they do not see the glory of the Creator. They have some other explanation. They seize upon any other explanation for the universe and for our world and all that it contains. But in the beginning, uh, there was God and God alone. And God ever blessed in himself, Father, Son and Spirit. And for his own pleasure, God created and brought forth the whole universe and he sustains the whole universe. God's powerful word. He speaks things into being. And he upholds them by that same word. The glory of God in the creation. And God's works of providence. We should marvel at these also. The history of the world is a fascinating study. We have many means whereby we can know things that belong to the past. But how do we view the whole of it? Is it just a random series of events? That's how many want to read history. There's no ultimate purpose to it. Is that not sheer folly? And do we not see, even in this chapter... A God involved in the history of this world. A God appearing in the history of this world. We read here of judgment. The judgment of God. And when the judgments of the Lord are in the earth, the people are to learn righteousness. Why? Because they see, and they cannot hide from it, that this is the hand of the Lord. Nations turning from the true God to idols. Israel was guilty of that. What happened? Did God leave his people to themselves? 
No God would go after them as a God in covenant with them. And God would bring them back. He would do so through his chastening. And perhaps saw judgments at times. And not only Israel, but other nations that have uh, confessed their belief in God. We think of the glorious Reformation. That was a work of God in his providence. And we are a nation that know the benefit even yet of the Reformation. But what are we doing with our heritage? Are we not casting it off? It seems to be an embarrassment uh, in our nation that we have this blessed history of the gospel and the building up of the church and the establishing of the church. It is not wanted anymore. That God should be our God. And we can expect the judgments of the Lord upon our land. They are there. They are there. The disinterest that people have in the things of God, that is a judgment. The blindness, the hardness, that is a judgment. And the unnatural things and the perverse things that are done, even with abandon, that itself is a judgment. God is visiting our land, but all that our land, our governments and our people would take note of it, and that there would be a heeding of the call to repentance. We believe that the COVID pandemic came with that message. A warning from God. Turn while there is time. Lest the hand of God should lie more and more heavily upon us. COVID has come. COVID has not entirely gone. But we are perhaps emerging from it. And the worst thing of all would be this. If that judgment of COVID left us just as we were before it came. Or indeed worse than we were. Because we've heard the voice of the Lord and we shut our ears. We said no, this is not for us. We can deal with this ourselves. We have modern means. We have skills. We can sort it out ourselves. No, God is involved in history, in the history of nations, and certainly our own nation. And we need to heed what the Lord is saying to us. And to remember his name. His name is Jehovah. God is supreme. And every knee is to bow before this glorious, this most High God. The name Lord, as it appears in capitals in the Old Testament scriptures, expresses the idea of a God in covenant with his people because it expresses the great work of God we know of as redemption. A redeeming God who in redeeming love pays a price for a people 
that they should be his peculiar people. And Israel would know the meaning of that name and of the whole name, the Lord Jehovah, by the redemption that God worked for Israel. The Exodus, the passage through the Red Sea, the journeying to the land of Canaan. God taking his people out of their bondage and enabling them to make progress toward the promised land flowing with milk and honey. A God in covenant. A God who pledged himself to unworthy Israel a God who would reveal his glory in and through his dealings with Israel in a way even above and beyond the glory he reveals in the creation and in providence. <coughs> Is this name a name we consider ourselves? The awesome name of the one true and living God. Speaking of his glorious majesty, his utter self-sufficiency, and how God is the one who's created everything, and all things are from him, and through him, and to him. And secondly, to consider the strength in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And in the margin of your Bible, you will note that that is literally the rock of ages. Everlasting strength, the rock of ages, this is our God. This is Jehovah. Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel and the Lord God of his people today. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable in all that he is, including his power, the power of God. And we thought of it briefly in connection with the creation, but also with regard to providence and especially redemption. God purposed in eternity to glorify his own name by choosing a people, people fallen into sin, and he would recover them from that fall, and he would do so by a redeemer. God's purpose is fixed. This is a blessed truth of the word of God. There's no variableness with God, no shadow of turning. He is in one mind, and who can turn him? Remember the words in Daniel, uh, speaking of God, that he does according to his will in the army of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? God is not accountable to any. God is, and God does, and he does according to his 
eternal purpose. And if God's purpose is to redeem and save and bless a people, that people will be redeemed and saved and blessed. Nothing in all creation, the world, the flesh, or the devil, will thwart God's purpose. There is comfort in a dark day and a day of small things. The Lord Jesus Christ who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is what Christ is doing yet. <coughs> my Father worketh hitherto and I work. Christ now works by his Spirit, the Spirit of grace in the gospel to build his church and he will continue doing that until the very end of time itself. God is all-powerful and God is all-wise and the two things go together in perfect harmony in God and in his working. And you see that in redemption. It is a work of infinite power but it is also a work of infinite wisdom. And we might say reverently, it took all the infinite wisdom of God to devise the scheme of redemption that God devised. Think of it. Here is humanity, and in Adam, humanity has sinned and fallen and lies in that wretched state of sin and misery. And there is no strength there, none at all, uh, to deliver oneself. No man can deliver another man out of that state. There is no help of man at all when it comes to man's deliverance from his sin. Who then shall be the deliverer? Who will come into this world and redeem sinners of mankind? Well, we learn in the scripture how between the Father and the Son there was that covenant, as we may call it, and the elect of God, chosen in Christ unto salvation and given to Christ that as he should take that part and perform that role as their redeemer, he would have them as his own. The shepherd would have his flock, his sheep. Who is the redeemer of God's elect? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? He is God's only begotten Son. And that's an important designation for Christ. Only begotten Son. Because it refers to the essence of God. And it tells us that there is an equality between the Father and the Son and the Blessed Spirit. So the one who came, the one whom God sent, was none other than God himself. The only begotten Son who became man for our redemption. And there is mystery there, and wonder indeed, the incarnation of 
Jesus Christ. In the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ took our nature in all its frailty with its common weaknesses. Sin accepted. For Christ must be holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Scripture tells us that Christ was crucified through weakness. There is mystery again. He lays down his life. No man takes it from him. This was the commandment he had received from his father. And the laying down speaks of the love of Christ. The selfless love of Jesus Christ. He's come into the world for his people. He's bearing their names like Aaron of old on the breastplate. But with Christ, the names are in his very heart. He's come on their behalf and he lives and he dies for their sake. And the life of Christ is a life which gives glory to God. There's perfect obedience there. Every precept is kept entirely and that in thought, word and deed. That is where, of course, we come short of God's glory. We sin daily, many times in thought, word and deed. And every sin deserves God's wrath and God's curse. And Christ bore the wrath. Christ bore the curse. He suffered in the place of his people. That was the paying of the price. The satisfying of God's justice. No flexibility there. Strict justice. You see it in the law. And the law condemns us. The law can never approve us. But here is Jesus Christ. And wondrously he has satisfied all God's requirements with respect to his people. Crucified through weakness. And you think of those who are gathered around the cross. You think of those who came to seize him. And those who tried him and those who scourged and mocked and in every way revealed the enmity in man's heart against God in the way that they dealt with Jesus Christ. You think of them gathered around the cross and they beheld Jesus Christ crucified between two thieves. And no doubt to many who were looking from a distance there was no difference between Christ and those either side of him. There were those who were closer to the cross and heard the words of Christ from the cross. If they had ears to hear, they would have heard wondrous things from the lips of Christ, even as he suffered at Calvary. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they they do. And uh, the one that asked, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the promise, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then those triumphant words, it is finished. To hear those words would be to be 
amazed that someone dying in such agony should so speak, speak in a kingly way, though crucified through weakness. But this is the wisdom of God and the power of God in Jesus Christ. Psalm 118 uh, speaks of the stone, the stone which the builders despised and rejected becoming the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. This is wondrous in our eyes. Well, yes, if our eyes have been opened to the truth, is it not wondrous? Is it wondrous for you here today that Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, should die on the cross in the place of sinners and that he should rise again? There's the triumph. The signal evidence of it. The empty tomb. And the resurrection appearances. To those disciples who were cast down. And defeated. And beginning to wonder about everything. And Christ appears to them. And shows himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. That he is indeed the Redeemer, their Lord, and their God, as Thomas was brought to confess. Well, the world, even today, looking at the cross, sees only weakness. But the sinner, guilty and hell-deserving, knowing the need of mercy, Pardon, peace with God. <coughs> the believer looking to the cross sees the power, strength. God's arm laid bare. God's hand working. Strength to deliver, to set free. And strength to preserve. Have we experienced something of this under the gospel? The Lord himself coming to us by the Holy Spirit and so dealing with us that we have been brought to nothing, utterly empty, because we have nothing, we are nothing in terms of what God requires of man. And then we've looked up. We've been enabled to do that. We've looked to the Son of God, to the crucified one, the Lamb that was slain. We've been drawn to him. And in Christ, we've seen strength and power. Is he not full of grace and truth? Is he not able to save to the uttermost? Is not salvation of the Lord? Holy and entirely. Certainly it is. As scripture declares. This is how it is with the Lord's people. They are brought to an end of themselves. In order that Christ should be for them all and in all. 
Christ who is made of God unto his people, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. An encouragement to know that the one who saves also keeps. But kept by the power of God through faith unto life eternal. And the power of God as it is revealed in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, God's covenant salvation, his covenant grace. Everlasting strength. The Lord Jehovah is that. Himself and the Lord Jehovah is that in covenant with his church and people. And so there is a people for God in this world, a people for his praise. There is a church, even in difficult times. A church perhaps divided and in many ways not as it ought to be. But a people worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And the Lord watching over them. And he will preserve a witness for himself in this world. Then we have the confidence. The words at the beginning of our text. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. We have been taught concerning God's name and his strength. And in the light of those things we are now exhorted as Judah was, to trust in the Lord and to do so forever. We may speak of faith as a duty. When we hear the word of God, when we hear the gospel, we are bound to believe upon the one who is offered to us in that gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can think of it this way also. As a believer... It's a wonderful privilege to be trusting in God, to be walking in this world by faith, not by sight. That's how the unconverted walk, by sight, by the things they can see and hear and the judgments they make accordingly. We know, do we not, that that is not wise. Uh, Such will not reach the desired haven. Such will go on in their blindness and their lives will end in the calamity of the soul going out into eternity and a holy and righteous God banishing the soul from his gracious presence and all that is good into the darkness Uh, the blackness of hell. No, we can only live here by faith. Faith alone in Christ alone for justification, to be right with God. That is the only way you can receive the righteousness you need to stand before God. The righteousness is in Christ and it's received from Christ by faith alone in him alone. But then to follow Christ, to be a disciple To live for the Lord and his praise and to serve him. 
Well, you must trust in God. Trust in his word. Trust in your Redeemer. Daily, we need repentance. And we're looking for the mercy of God unto eternal life. Where will we find that mercy? It's in Christ. And we trust that God, for Jesus' sake, will continue to be merciful to our unrighteousness, even until we come to our dying day. We depend upon Christ and the grace of Christ in all our spiritual struggles, indeed warfare, while we are in this world. You need the Lord to meet your temporal needs also, to provide your daily bread. Trust ye in the Lord forever. Trust ye in the Lord in such a world as this. The world is shaken by God from time to time. Wars and rumors of wars. We live in such a time. Calamities of various kinds. COVID and other difficulties, afflictions of such a kind. We also find that the church can be shaken. Some of us have lived through such a time. And uh, things happening that cause us to drink the wine of astonishment. And what do we do at such a time? Trust in the church? No, the church is head. The church is head, Christ. It's from him that we get our spiritual life and strength. It's from him that salvation flows, not from the church. The church is very important. We should belong to a congregation of God's people. We should identify with the church, sound in biblical principle. But Christ is the head. And every member in the mystical body of Christ gets strength from Christ himself. Errors and divisions in the church. You can see it throughout her history. No doubt it will be so uh, even as time continues. We look for that time when the Lord will work wondrously and the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our families can be shaken too. Perhaps you've experienced that during the COVID pandemic in one way or another. It has been a very testing and trying time for many households. Elderly and frail relatives in some cases have been removed from this world. <coughs> And uh, it was, to some extent, on the count of, of COVID. But there are strifes and troubles within families rising now and then. And you might look to your loved ones and put your confidence in them. And to some extent, you have to do that, and that is good. But to whom will you go and upon whom will you rely for the greatest, weightiest things in life, and especially for the needs of your soul. 
to the rock of ages. That's where you must go. To the Lord. To God in Jesus Christ. Kingdoms, nations are also shaken. And we see that in conflicts which take place and even rage at the present time in this world. But do we know that there is a kingdom which cannot but cannot be moved? We learn of that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. There is a day to come when the very universe itself will be shaken by God, finally, and that will remove everything which is of man, the works of men, and what will remain? The kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, the spiritual body of Christ, those who are regenerate, who have newness of life, who have been forgiven, who have been adopted and sanctified. And that should sober us all. Time is passing so quickly. We're passing through this world on the way to eternity. Are we making spiritual progress as we do so? Are we growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? That is our calling. We're called with a holy calling. The Lord requires a holy people. No holiness, no heaven. This then must be our chief business while we are here even in the midst of all our earthly duties and concerns. Trust ye in the Lord. Trust ye in the Lord forever. All your days here. Be looking upward to the man at God's right hand, to the invincible Redeemer, to Jesus Christ who conquered at Calvary and who revealed his victory by his resurrection and his ascension and now his session on the throne. Trust ye in the Lord forever. It's an interesting question which is sometimes asked Will faith remain in glory? You remember how Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, charity. These are chief graces. These are graces we must have and must exercise as pilgrims in this world following Christ. What of glory? What of heaven? Do we need faith there? Well, faith will certainly give way to sight. We desire to see the king in his beauty. The Lord's people shall see their king. 
They will behold him face to face and they will be ravished with the sight. And yet, Christ is still the mediator in glory. From Christ in glory we shall be receiving and so we will still be dependent upon Jesus Christ as his people there in heaven. Trust ye in the Lord forever. The disciple John, the disciple whom Jesus loved as he referred so often to himself. We read that at the Last Supper, John leant upon the bosom of Jesus. And so will every believer. We do that in a sense by faith now. In glory, we shall certainly have that attitude, that inclination more than we had here, purified of all that is worldly and carnal, so that in glory we will be leaning upon the bosom of our Savior at rest with him. And we shall be doing so in loving communion and in complete confidence. We read in verse 3, of the Lord keeping his people in perfect peace. Their minds are stayed upon him. Do you find that peace elusive here? I'm sure we all do. We would like to say that we have the peace of God. And we trust we do in a measure. But doubts and fears remain. And sometimes they can be many. And they can be powerful. Trust in the Lord more and more. That's the calling. And may we by grace be able to trust in the Lord more and more. <coughs> but perfect peace in the absolute sense, that surely awaits our entrance into glory. God is wise in all his dealings. He always leaves us short, as it were, of that which is absolutely perfect. There's no sinless perfection here. There's no perfection in any grace here. Because we must always be looking beyond what we have here. We will not enjoy here what pertains only to the state of glory. But as we have it in Psalm 84, he will give grace and glory. If we have saving grace even if our faith and our trust and our confidence in Christ is weak, we shall have glory. The Lord is able to do that in that covenant ordered in all things and sure. And the Lord will do it for each and every one of his own. On our part, trust in the Lord. Depend upon him. Hold to his promises. Plead them before him. Walk in his fear, walk in the light, as he is in the light. And you will know something of the strength that the Lord gives to his people, even to those who wait upon him, 
mounting up with wings as eagles, running and they're not weary, walking and they do not faint. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. <coughs> Almighty God, wilt thou be the strength of thy people in a manifest way in these troublous times. May we be coming to thee with confidence in prayer. May we be looking to thee as the very rock of ages and Jesus Christ as the sure redeemer who will bring his people even through much tribulation into the kingdom above. Bless us all according to our individual need and forgive us our sin, even in worship, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We shall sing to God's praise in Psalm 33. <coughs> Psalm 33, and at verse 17. Verse 17, an horse for preservation is a deceitful thing, and by the greatness of his strength can no deliverance bring. Behold on those that do him fear, the Lord does set his eye, in those who on his mercy do with confidence rely. From death to free their soul, in dearth life unto them to yield, our soul doth wait upon the Lord. He is our help and shield. Saith in his holy name we trust. Our heart shall joyful be. Lord, let thy mercy be on us as we do hope in thee. Psalm 33 from verse 17. And horse for preservation is a deceitful thing. Oh, and
intimations are as follows. The evening service is at the usual time of 6.30pm. Prayer meeting on Thursday at 7.30pm is to be taken by Mr. Ian Martin. The services next Sabbath are at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm. The preacher expected is the Reverend Trevor Kirkland from Northern Ireland. And then an intimation regarding an online meeting of the Scottish Reformation <coughs> Society this coming Friday, the 6th of May. The subject is Robert Candlish and the Doctrine of Sonship. And the address is to be given by the Reverend Ian MacLeod uh, from America. The meeting begins at 7.30pm. The contact details are as on the leaflet on the table in the vestibule and details are also available on the Scottish Reformation Society website. And then finally, uh, an update regarding Mrs. Clark. Mrs. Clark is making steady progress and depending on satisfactory blood test results, is hoping to be allowed home in a few days' time. These are all the intimations, all God willing. We shall conclude with a benediction. <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.